Bear Down Bears fans, welcome into another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. Pat the designer, Courtney Cronin, prepping you for the Vegas Raiders versus the Chicago Bears. I can't even go full on like Vegas Raiders because they're still bad. They're both so bad this season. But we got to talk about uh, Bears practice, injury reports, all of that stuff. And uh, you know what it is. Bayesian talk is coming, ladies and gentlemen. All that and more on today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. We do talk Chicago Bears daily on this channel. Leave that five-star review. You know what to do. Courtney, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. We just got in from practice. It's getting colder out there. So, you know, the weather's changing, the seasons are changing, but things are remaining the same here at Hallis Hall uh, with a one in five football team. So we, it's, we got, yeah. yeah, we do. We do. I mean, it's the next couple of weeks are going to be interesting because I know you and I have talked about the trade deadline and what that might, you know, one way or the other, what these next couple of games could do for this team and the direction that they go. But you know, some of the injuries are kind of concerning just in terms of guys that they might have been looking to, you know, to move on from. Nothing was ever guaranteed. But, you know, we're out there at practice today. Today's Thursday. And Eddie Jackson, we know he injured his foot last Sunday. Uh, they took him out before that third and 19 play in the second quarter. And Matt Eberflew said he wasn't 100%, but if it was an emergency situation, he could go back in. So it sounds like a pain tolerance thing. He's limited on Wednesday, and then he did not, when we were out there, saw him on the bike. So feels like this is another setback for somebody who's been trying to get back from this injury. And you've got to wonder at some point, too, if if it's an on and off thing every week, could this be something where they just shut him down and say, you actually do need surgery on your foot? Because he was able to avoid it before, but I, I can only imagine how frustrating this is for him in trying to get back on the field, doing it for a quarter and a half and in limited action at that. Yeah, he, he just hasn't been able to get himself consistently on the field. And and it's, mm-hmm. it sucks, right, because the last time that we saw him consistently on the field, he looked like the best version of Eddie Jackson that we've talked about. The guy that we were willing to pay as one of the highest paid safeties in the league. So, unfortunately, it seems like the injuries is going to be a theme for the Bears throughout a good chunk of this season. I mean, we got another CVS receipt list here of uh, of guys who are limited in DNP. Uh, what is the latest that we have on Roshan Johnson, though? I feel like there hasn't been enough conversation about him, especially with the Bears running back room where it is. I know he was DNP yesterday. Is this an expectation that he's going to be in concussion protocol for a little while here? Yeah, I mean, it certainly feels that way for him to not be out there at all. Um, I mean, last you know, last week with Lucas Patrick coming out of concussion protocol, we had kind of gotten the indication that things were trending in the right direction. He was going to get cleared. He goes back to practice on Friday and, you know, ends up being a full participant with Roshan Johnson. You know, we don't even know what stage and like, it's, it's hard to know that, but we don't know what stage or where he's at in the concussion protocol at the moment. So this feels like something that's, you know, progressing now into its second week in line right now to miss his second game. And when you watch the running back group, it's so thin. Like I know it's the same number of guys that they have up right now that they would have had up on a normal circumstance that they're going to carry. Like if they have three running backs, like, and if they can carry three, they probably are going to need to trend that way. But you know, Travis Homer's limited and he came back yesterday. That was good. But like, it's Travis Homer, Darrington Evans and Deontay Foreman. Like that's not a great group that you would like be like super confident in when you saw some of the limitations of the running back, running back room and just really the run game as a, as a, as a whole 
kind of falls short there in a number of different moments against the Minnesota Vikings. We saw Yannick and Gakwe go on the uh, I or uh, on the injury report as uh, as limited here uh, with a back issue. Is that is that something that has been holding him back in practice at all, or is he is he going to be good to go on Sunday? What's the latest with him? Because I mean, without him, the, the pass rush is dead. There's not yeah. much rush to speak of, but with him not there, it's literally dead. Yeah, it's tough because they need him out there and for him to show up with a back or a back injury. I mean, I saw him go through individual on Thursday. So again, another encouraging sign that maybe this is something that, you know, he can either get upgraded today or if it at worst, he's listed as questionable for the game when the final injury report comes out on Friday. But it's, you know, they're really banged up right now. And most teams are, but when you, you they saw success on defense. They got a taste of it because they had a healthy secondary for more or less the first half of that game. And they were able to be in dime more often and have six defensive backs in the field because they had six healthy defensive backs to use. Like, And I just wonder how that's going to change some of the sub packages that they have in, you know, this secondary, which has really kind of carried the torch here the last couple of weeks in helping to generate that pass rush with some of the corner blitzes. And we know that Jaquan Brisker is somebody who really, you know, if, if called upon to, to provide, you know, to be an extra rusher, like he can do it. I mean, led the team in sacks last year. I feel like that's kind of where things are trending here, that this might be their MO going forward. And certainly if there's injuries up front, you're going to have to account for that pass rush somewhere and that probably is a considerable part of it going forward now i i have to ask you this because i just every time i i hear i feel like i've heard there was this with the bears for three years in a row and i'm just trying to figure out how these pirate diseases keep popping up terrell smith has mono like what's going on how do these guys keep getting mo- i haven't heard the first time i heard about mono in the nfl i swear it was zach wilson when he had it <laughs> i remember that where I was like, huh, I didn't know people still caught that. And I feel like the Bears have caught it every single season. What's going on in there? Didn't Sam Darnold have mono too at Sam one point? Darnold, I think it was Sam Darnold that had mono. Uh, uh, yeah, and- he, he had mono when he was with the Jets. I don't know about Zach Wilson, I, but I definitely remember. Maybe Zach Wilson had it too. I don't know. Um, Alex Leatherwood had it last year, and they exactly. put, which is interesting because they put him on NFI, non-football illness list. Uh, he gets here after he was with the Raiders, after he was cut um, at cutdown day or waived, and then they claim him, he comes here, and then he immediately goes on to NFI because of mono. I think he's out four weeks. I remember having a conversation with him that he, like, he felt like death in those moments. Like, I had mono when I was, funny story here. So, like, I had my tonsils out when I was 22, which is, like, very rare. You don't get your tonsils out at that age. Um, because of the recovery time is insane. But like I had a million cases of strep throat in college. It just kept getting worse. My doctor's like, you're done. So I get my tonsils out right after Thanksgiving in 2012. Um, and you know, you're, you're on ice for like three weeks. You can't do anything, can't eat. And like all of a sudden when I'm starting to feel better, like there was about a couple days stretch of when I started to feel better. And then I like, it was New Year's Eve of 2012 and i remember i was like god like something am i having a setback so i go and get like go to the you know the hospital to like get my blood drawn or you have mono i'm like all right this is known as the kissing disease or whatever how the hell i've been on ice i haven't been in the streets i haven't been doing anything how did i get mono and 
I guess it can come from anywhere. Like the ENT that I had seen is like, you know, it could come from surgical equipment. I'm like, well, what's the point of that? Like surgical, surgical equipment supposed to be sterile. So I say all that to say, who knows where the hell it came from? Because it's not like there's an outbreak right now. Yeah. Um, I, you know, mono is supposed to be very contagious because it's transferred through saliva. So I don't know how Terrell Smith got mono. I don't know how Alex Leatherwood got mono last year. What I do know, though, is that Leatherwood, when I talked to him about it, he said he lost like 25 pounds. And yeah. for an athlete, you can't really afford, like when you're trying to stay in shape, you're trying to play at a certain weight. Like, and also you can't play because you don't want to rupture your spleen. Like, that's a really significant thing that Terrell, that Terrell Smith is dealing with. And Matt Eberflus, like, went ahead and put out the timeline that he's going to be out three to four weeks. Yeah. Um, this could affect a lot of things. Like, let's let's say a team calls about Jalen Johnson, says we want to upgrade our, our secondary. We typically don't see cornerbacks like him available, but you guys – are one and six. Let's say that they lose the Raiders game. They're one and six, or even if they're two and five, regardless, the season's going nowhere uh, at this point of the season. Like they have to ask themselves, okay, well, Terrell Smith's out for the next three to four weeks because he's got mono. Can we afford to move Jalen Johnson? Because who else are we going to put back there? Jalen Jones, Greg Strowman, like you have options, but are they great options? So it really like this mononucleosis thing that, um, that popped up last week. It's not just affecting the player, which of course you want them to get healthy, you want them to get well. It's effect- it could potentially be affecting like their decisions that they make in the front office. Yeah, it, it's it's gonna be. I, I'm just every time I see that come across my screen, I'm like, I thought we like eliminated this with the plague and like all of that. So like, I didn't know. I don't think there's a vaccine for mono. I think that mono is still like a virus. It's a viral infection, which means that there's no there's no medicine. You there's no like it's not like you know, you get bronchitis and you take a Z-pack and like, yeah, you know, yeah. you can take penicillin and then you're fine. Like this is, God, I'm trying to remember what I took for mono. I know I had to take steroids, um, prednisone because my glands were so swollen yeah. and that like helps break down the inflammation. So I would assume I'm not going to like diagnose what Terrell Smith is on right now, but I say all that to say it takes time to recover from it. And my gosh, like to get your stamina back. I know we yeah. talked about when athletes had COVID and, you know, guys had breathing issues and all of these things that affected people differently. I think with mono, it's pretty much like a, you know, a baseline. Like you're going to be, it's going to take a while to get your strength back just as like, you know, day-to-day strength, but also then the strength to be a professional athlete. Like that's really tough. That, that's that's the part that people don't think about, right? It's like mm-hmm. you, you get your strength to get back to normal. Yeah. To be a human being. You go. That's why, that's why even <laughs> the, the uh, very different injury situations here, but even with Aaron Rodgers, like, when I see him on the field throwing a football, I'm like, he's he looks like he's getting back to like living a normal life, which yeah. is all rehab is to do. It gets you back normal. Then you have to get to the point where you're back in football shape, athlete shape. I'm like, what the heck is he doing out there? Just standing on this foot already. What, yeah. Nine yeah. days, 40 days from the time that he tore it. Like this is it, it, it insanity is happening over there. Uh, let's keep it going, though, because we do have a Raiders game here. And uh, I, I mean, listen, got to welcome a very special guest to the podcast because uh, nobody can break down the Raiders better. <laughs> John Reed in the building with us from the athletic. Great to have you here. Appreciate you coming on the show. You are having a very similar season to us, but uh, how are you feeling? <laughs> Pretty good. I mean, it's the usual Raiders season, you know, a little off the field stuff, on the field, you know, drama, you know, nothing, nothing different. Hey, that that uh, it fits the bill here in Chicago mm-hmm. as well. I mean, 
I guess here's the thing, right? When you're when you're looking at this game uh, coming up on the schedule, what do you see from the Bears from the eye on the enemy standpoint that I guess maybe has you going, yeah, Vegas might be able to lose this game. They might be able to find a way to lose this game. Very similar to how we've seen them play a, a lot this season. Yeah, the thing I've learned covering the Raiders is there's no guaranteed wins, right? I mean, it seems like the games that you just think, like, like for example, the Colts game last year, Jeff Saturday's first game, his head coach, like, oh, there's no way they lose that game. Of course they lose it. But, um, yeah, I think looking at the Bears this year, um, they've done a decent job of, of running the ball and also stopping the run. Um, and that's something that, obviously, if you can get the ground game going, um, you can control the clock, um, you know, keep it a low-possession game, you know, keep it from becoming a shootout. Um, and the Raiders this year, you know, even though they have Josh Jacobs, who led the league in rushing last year, they haven't been able to run the ball really against anybody. You know, whether they're going against a good run defense or a bad one, they've struggled. And it's, and it's really made their offense one-dimensional. And that's one of the reasons why their offense overall has struggled so much this season. And so if the Bears are able to run the ball well and also slow down the Raiders' run game and make them one-dimensional, I think that's their path to victory. Yeah, I want to get into Josh Jacobs and just like what's happened there. I mean, this guy was leading the league in rushing a year ago, and then it's like they forgot how to use him. And I, I just I don't understand the rationale there. They finally come to an agreement at the 11th hour. They get him there for the regular season. They pay him just a little bit. But what what is the story behind like his ineffectiveness and really just oh, the overall usage of somebody who was so effective last year? Yeah, I think it goes beyond him. I mean, last year, the, the offensive line did a decent job um, run blocking um, as well as pass protection. I think they were a little bit better than we all expected. This year, they, they pretty much brought back the same group and, and were banking on continuity, you know, improving their overall play. Instead, they've regressed pretty dramatically. I mean, they've been, they've been all right in pass protection, but the run blocking has been pretty awful. Um, and, and then at, at one point this season, I'm not sure if it's still the case, but Josh Jacobs was getting hit on average behind the line of scrimmage. <laughs> so basically he had to make people miss as soon as he got the ball. And no matter how talented you are as a running back, it, it's tough to make yards consistently when that's the case. Um, but I think even beyond the run game, uh, a big difference this year is just the structure of the pass game. Um, obviously the Raiders made a big quarterback change in the offseason going from Derek Carr to Jimmy Garoppolo. And I know a lot of people view those guys as similar caliber quarterbacks. They're, you know, around average, above average when they're on, but they play very differently. You know, Derek Carr, he'll air it out. He'll push it downfield. He's not afraid to take those deep shots. Jimmy Garoppolo is short to intermediate, and defenses know that. In their response, they're playing a lot of single high coverage. They're loading the box. They're not really respecting the deep ball, and so far Garoppolo hasn't been able to make them pay for it. And so not only is the offensive line struggling to run block, but also teams are just bringing more people than they can realistically block, even if they were doing a good job. And so it, it sort of, you know, multiplied upon itself and, and made the run game. You know, they had flashes here and there where Josh Jacobs makes, a, makes two or three people miss and, and breaks off a 10-yard game, but it's, it's few and far between. And um, unless they can start making the defense, you know, respect the deep ball a little bit more, it's kind of hard to see the run game having a breakthrough. You, you talked about the deep ball there, and, and you know, me and Courtney did an uh, exercise on here where – we said who was going to regress the most, teams and player-wise, this season. And I think both of our number ones was Devontae Adams because we were just like Josh McDaniels as a head coach, do with that what you will, right? And, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo coming in and having the injury concerns and is he going to be good enough when he's on the field. Uh, but Devontae Adams, I mean – I've never seen somebody have such a superstar. Well, I can't say that. I'm a Bears fan. I I've watched them do it with DJ Moore. <laughs> but have a superstar caliber wide receiver on their team and 
they just don't seem to go to him. They don't even seem to look at him. It seems like Jacoby Myers has been more of the focal point here. What's going on with Devontae Adams in this offense, and why can't he get himself going? Why can't they get him going? I don't think it's a problem with him. Yeah, I mean, he's still up there in terms of targets overall. I think he's tied for sixth in the league. So he is getting the ball a lot. He, he leads the team in terms of target share. I think the issue is, is more so more so than volume. It's been consistency with his targets. I mean, he has a lot of quarters where he'll get zero or one or halves with one or two targets. And he's just too good, no matter what the defense is doing. If he's getting double teamed, if they're bringing safety help, it's a lot of to happen. There's ways you can scheme him open. There's also situations where even if the defender is there, he can still catch it, make something out of it. Um, but that really doesn't mesh with Garoppolo's play style. I mean, obviously, we know with the 49ers, we see it with Brock Purdy now. Kyle Shanahan schemes a lot of guys wide open where they're just running free and nothing really to think about, just, you know, point name. And with this this situation, he's having to make some, some throws in the tight windows, and I think that's part of the reason why he's leading the league in interceptions right now, even though he's missed a decent chunk of the season. And, you know, it, it, it's a mix of, you know, them not getting creative enough with scheming them open, whether that's moving them around, whether that's route concepts, um, you know, also with Garoppolo not being the best guy to fit it in there, but also not being willing to do so. Um, and then just, you know, obviously, you know, you got to come back to McDaniels as a play caller. You can't let, you know, an entire quarter or entire halves, um, it's not like this offense is rolling either, right? It's, it may be one thing if they were averaging 30 points and, you know, Devontae is in and out of the mix, but it doesn't matter because Josh Jacobs is, is rushing for 100 yards. But that's not happening. Like, the offense is struggling, and then they have these situations where they just don't go to him. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, throw him the ball, you know? And that's oh, well, essentially what he said, said yesterday. He's doing the Spider-Man meme with our teams right now. That's what's happening right now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it yeah, felt so like that in, in the Green Bay game. Like there was that stretch between was first target and a second one, which set up that Jacoby Myers touchdown. Like, how did they try to explain their way out of it? Because it's not, if you even look at the numbers, it's not like Jair Alexander was shadowing him all game and like completely took him out of being effective. How are they trying to like say this is why this is happening? And like, it's not just that they aren't getting, like, they aren't targeting Devontae Adams. A lot of times when it, when it comes to McDaniels talking about it, uh, it, it goes back to what the defense is doing, whether they're doubling him or bringing safety help or, you know, they have some other somebody else is open as a result of the attention that he's getting. And so that tends to be, um, you know, the, the first go to. Uh, but I think we're starting to see a little bit um, kind of last couple of weeks where we asked, for, for example, pushing the ball downfield, you know, why they haven't done that as often this year as they did last year. I mean, they were top five in the NFL last year in terms of air yards per throw and, and deep throws and then they're towards the bottom this year and it's you know you essentially say like you know i can call up a deep play but it doesn't necessarily mean that the ball is going to go there which you know is kind of a roundabout way of, of you know saying that the quarterback you know may not be willing to throw some of these deep balls but i don't think that that's necessarily surprising any of any of us who have, have seen jimmy garoppolo play for a while now but um to, to a certain degree i mean you can you know obviously there, there, are, there are some things that mcdaniels needs to do better in terms mm -hmm. of you know, it doesn't have to be a deep ball. You can throw more screens or, or, or slants or more of these quick hitting routes um, and just get the ball in his hands because he's one of the best receivers in the league and creating yards after catch, obviously. But, you know, also on Garoppolo's end, like he's he's got to be more willing. He's got to cut it loose. And it's kind of been a weird situation this year where he's not. He's throwing a lot of short to intermediate passes. But he's also leading the league in interceptions. So it's like they're being conservative while also giving the ball away a lot. And it's just he's got the offense in a rut right now. Yeah, I want to get to this point, though. We, we were, what, 20 minutes into this podcast, and we haven't asked you about his health. So, like, yeah. he's got a back injury. Can you take us back to Sunday? Because I know that what Josh McDaniel said made it sound like there was something that they were really concerned about that he actually ended up avoiding. 
like what what happened uh, and we're, like what was the worst case scenario that they were hoping would not become true here? Yeah, so towards the end of the first half, it was actually their, their last drive um, against the Patriots in their first half. Um, there was a throw where where uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, he, he completed the pass to Jacoby Myers, but he got hit after he let it go, kind of in his side, lower back area. Um, and when he, when he got up, you could see him kind of reach back and it got to the sideline and he was in a lot of pain. And so um, they did a kind of brief evaluation at halftime, but Allegiant Stadium doesn't have an MRI. And so they, they took him to the hospital so that they could get an MRI done and, and make sure there weren't any internal injuries such as, you know, organ damage or things of that nature, kind of the more serious uh, or a rupture or something of that nature that you can't just pick up on an x-ray. Um, and so it was more of a precautionary thing. And, and just because of how much pain he was in, they were, you know, obviously couldn't rule it out um, based on the equipment they had at the stadium. And so uh, it, it seems that they've avoided that. Um, obviously he's still injured. You know, he has, he didn't practice yesterday. We'll see if he practices later today. Um, but right now, it just seems to be some sort of back injury. They haven't specified it. That tends to be the, the Raiders' way with injuries. It's not telling you too much. But um, I would be surprised, um, pretty surprised, if, if they let him go this week, um, given the nature of the injury. And also, I think it's, you know, frankly, it's a matchup that they probably feel like they should be able to win, even if he doesn't suit up. Yeah. Um, and, and so you can save him for another week. Obviously, they got the Lions next week. That, that looks to be a tougher matchup on paper. And so instead of rushing them back for a game that they probably think they can win anyway, um, I, I think they would lead them a sign of caution and probably hold them up this week. It looks like it's going to be the battle of the backups here. I mean, realistically speaking, though, with Brian Hoyer in there, the one thing that you can say is he, he seemed like he was a little bit quicker to make decisions, a little bit you know, smarter in the moment maybe. Uh, do you think that he will get Devontae Adams a little bit more involved in this offense? What does he bring that Josh McDaniels can take advantage of here? Yeah, I think it's still up in the air in terms of who's going to start this game for them. They've, they've kind of had a weird situation this year um, where all three quarterbacks have played because of Garoppolo's injuries, but they also manage their quarterback room a little uniquely, I think. Um, they, they had Brian Hoyer as the backup when Garoppolo is started because they believe he's better equipped as a veteran to step in in a sudden change situation if Garoppolo goes down and finish a game. But the one, the one week where Garoppolo was ruled out before the game when he had a, a concussion, Going up against the Chargers, they started Aiden O'Connell because they, they gave him a full week of preparing as a starter and then let him go out there and play. He had had a mixed performance. Um, I mean, he had two fumbles, three interception, um, took like 18 sacks. And so that wasn't good to see. But he's, you know, he's, a, he's a rookie in his first start, so he looked like a rookie in his first start. But there, were, there was some good there, too. And so I, I think they're still weighing that a little bit to see if they want to give Aiden O'Connell another shot with another week of preparation if Garoppolo doesn't practice this week. Um, and instead of throwing Hoyer back out there. Because I think at this point, you know, Hoyer played okay last week. I mean, he had one deep ball to Trey Tucker. Uh, he didn't turn the ball over, but he, he wasn't really doing a whole bunch out there. They were handing the ball off a lot and, and just basically telling him, don't mess up this lead. Um, and, and I think you know what you have with Brian Hoyer at, at 38 years old, like he is what he is. With Aiden O'Connell, there's, there's still some upside that could be untapped there. And so that doesn't mean they're going to roll with him as a starter the rest of the season, but looking forward to the future, you know, you want to get him those reps and see maybe you have something here that could be more than just a backup in the future. And so in my opinion, I, I think starting O'Connell would be the better move for him. And um, he's a guy that he doesn't have the biggest arm in the world, but he's, he is not afraid to sling it and take some risks out there. And so I don't, I don't think he would have too many problems getting the ball to Devontae if he ends up getting the nod. So we're at week seven. And I think back to, I remember following along with like your Twitter feed and others during free agency where he, 
the whole Jimmy Garoppolo saga, the way it unfolded when you guys get out there for his introductory press conference, it doesn't happen because they have to, you know, rework his contract and write that injury clause in there. There's more than half the season left, but the, do you have an indication right now, just in terms of the feel of these games and also kind of what's happened with Garoppolo? Like, was this the right move for them as they tried to turn the page in the post Derek Carr world? I know their options were limited, but like they went out and got this guy in free agency and they had, you know, every opportunity to not go this route. I get the connection. Josh McDaniels likes his ex Patriots players. Like, there's a lot of them on this roster, but it's obviously not panning out right now, given where they stand record wise, but let's play the retrospect game. Like, could they have done something differently? And what would that have been had it not been Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah, I do think they should have done something differently. I think moving on from Derek Carr is a fine decision. You know, he'd been there for nine years. He hadn't won any playoff games. I get it. You know, one of the move. he's not, he wasn't their guy. They inherited him. But I think if you're going to move on from Derek Carr, you would ideally like it to be to somebody that's clearly better or somebody that has the potential to be better one day. And I just feel like Garoppolo at best is, a, you know, a linear move for them. And so far this season has been a, a downgrade. The offense has gotten significantly worse. He's played, not, not that Derek Carr lit the world on fire last season, but he was better than this, you know, at, at this point in the year. And so um, they, it was kind of a winding road to Garoppolo. It wasn't like they started the offseason. It was like, that's, that's our guy. Uh, you know, we reported earlier this year. I mean, they they, they kicked the tires on Tom, Tom Brady before he retired. Um, they sniffed around on Aaron Rodgers before he was dealt to the Jets. They tried to trade for the number one overall pick before the Panthers ultimately landed it, obviously, in the deal with the Bears and, and took Bryce Young. Um, and it ultimately came down to, you know, once free agency started, you know, they had the number seven pick that wasn't really – that was a high pick but not really in range to get one of the clear – top three guys, as we saw, all those guys would have been gone by the seventh overall pick. Mm -hmm. And so it put them sort of in a bind where it's like, well, we need somebody, you know, and, and Garoppolo just sort of emerged as this guy that was available. They had familiarity with them. Um, the price wasn't too crazy. Um, and then I think that's why they ultimately did it. What I probably would have done in their situation, you know, let's say Brady's not coming, Rodgers isn't coming. I would have made a move to try to trade up in the draft, you know, even if it's not the number one overall pick. You can get to pick, you know, number three or number four and get somebody like a CJ Stroud or Anthony Richardson or uh, something of that nature. I feel like that just gives you more hope and more promise. Like, even if they aren't better than Jimmy Garoppolo this season, which could be the case. I mean, CJ Stroud has been, but like, you know, obviously Anthony Richardson got hurt. Um, I, I just think it gives you more of a direct sense of direction moving forward. You have something to look to as this guy continues to improve. With Garoppolo, he kind of is what he is at this point in his career. And so it's like, if, it's, if we see this year how they look, it's kind of like, where, where do you go from here? You know, there's a clear answer with him as a quarterback. And so they kind of put themselves in the bind with this, this uh, decision that they made this offseason. Big picture here, right? Like, I love uh, Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator. I absolutely hate Josh McDaniels, the head coach. Uh, I, I just – I think he's not suited for the job. I think he's a great play caller. But he just doesn't have the leadership skills to do that job. Is this a hot seat year for Josh McDaniels? Because every time we – I feel like we see the owner talk about it, he's giving a glowing endorsement of a job that has not been very well done. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really view it as a hot seat. Like, I think they would have to be, like, just miserable this year, like 3-14 and 14 or something of that nature in order for him to get fired this year. Um, I, I think they kind of view it as a retooling slash rebuild kind of thing. They're in this weird in-between spot where last year they very clearly went for it, trading for Devontae Adams, signing Chandler Jones, making some of the moves that they did, re-signing everybody, basically. And this year in the offseason, they didn't really do that much. And so it's kind of like a realization of, okay, we're not as close as we thought we were. 
but they have too many good players, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, Max Crosby to tank. And so they're just stuck in this kind of weird in-between place that they're in. And I think they knew what that was coming into the year. And so I, I think Mark Davis had a sort of realistic view of this season. And, you know, obviously he can change his mind. You know, he can be an emotional guy at times. And maybe if he gets down down towards the end of the season and he doesn't like it, maybe maybe he just pulls the plug. But I think it would be pretty high bar for him to, to move on from the coaching staff this season. I'm pretty confident, you know, Joshua Daniels and GM Dave, GM Dave Ziegler both make it to year three. And we'll see from there. Like, I don't know how far Luis goes after that, but I'd be pretty surprised if, if he gets let go. Let's go this year. All right. Before we, yeah, before we move on to some fun stuff here, I have to ask you about Max Crosby because the sh- the bright spot of that defense. I mean, the Bears kind of deal with like the same thing where, you know, it should be a more talented unit, but you have like one or two pieces that have star potential. And at least in Chicago, they haven't really reached that with the unique in Gakwe specifically. But Crosby, five and a half sacks, boatload of pressures. They can play him all over the place. Like. I know that he's probably a little bit further back in the defensive player of the year conversation, but do you think he can get there this year? Just given like he's on a, he's on a losing team right now and very well may end up with a losing record, but he has been a monster since he entered the league and continues to get better every year. Yeah. I think you have to consider him a candidate at this point. Um, To me, he's playing like the best edge rusher in the league right now. I mean, it's not just, you know, getting after the quarterback and the pressures and the sacks, but I mean, he's up there in terms of tackles for loss and just overall tackles for defensive linemen as well. I mean, he's a force in the run game. He's a true two-way defensive end, and that's something that – I mean, he was a, a speed rusher, lightweight guy coming out of college. He's just completely, through his work ethic and grind, transformed his game into one of the best players in the league. And this Raiders defense has been, like, surprisingly good this season. I mean, they're, like, 19th in scoring, 11th in total yards allowed. And so, I, I mean – you can look at their roster and see that it's not exactly filled out with talent. I mean, the guy leading the charge there is Crosby. It all revolves around him. Um, and, and that's why the Raiders are 3-3 three and three right now. Like I, you know, it's not a great record or anything of that nature, but if it wasn't for him in that defense, like, it'd be pretty ugly right now. I mean, this offense, like, technically they scored 20 points last week, but not really because two <laughs> of those points was on a safety, on a sack by Max Crosby. And so the offense has been pretty awful, and, and the defense has been carrying the Raiders this season, which is something that you probably – can't say in any other year since like 2002 or something of that nature. And so I think he deserves to be in the early conversation. Um, he's on a, a great, you know, on pace to have the best season in his career so far this year. And I think it's, it's his defense, especially if he could t- continues to improve, I think you have to put his name in there toward the end of the year. All right. That's enough about two teams that are kind of just like, what the heck is going on? Why did it look like this? Let's learn a little bit about Deshaun here. Uh, Courtney put me on to your podcast that you do on the over on the athletic. Uh, I believe it was a five-episode series that you had over there and, and a really good job uh, called Between the Lines. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it was a series that I was working on for about about two years. It basically ended up being something that encapsulates the black experience in the NFL, taking a historical look from pretty much the start of the league um, to, to the state of players, coaches, executives, and then sort of seeing where race in the NFL is going moving forward. Um, and so I talked to a bunch of former and current, you know, league employees and players and coaches and executives and gave my own perspective, um, obviously, as, as a black man in America that, that had my own experiences. And so um, it, it was sort of an audio documentary, in a sense, um, yeah. and, and sort of just dive deep um, on some of those topics. Obviously, we've seen the continued intersection of race and sports in terms of the discussion of it in recent years with some of these flashpoint moments like you know, George Floyd or Michael Brown before that or, uh, you know, some of the earlier years. And so 
it's something that we talk about a lot and write about a lot, but I, I feel like I wanted to sort of give the people that experience it in the NFL on a daily day basis, give them the platform to have their voice be heard. I think it just, even if it's the exact same quote, I think there's just a different impact when you hear somebody say something, the emotion in their most, their voice, the passion in their voice compared to just reading the quote. And so I, I think that came across pretty well. And, um, you know, again, it's something that we talk about every year, but I think it's something that we have to continue to talk about until it gets better. Yeah. I think the one thing, like when I remember listening to it in March, you know, the experience of a lot of people in the front offices in the NFL and executives, I mean, the NFC North has three black GMs between Detroit, Chicago, and Minnesota. And I think about like your, the Raiders front office with Champ Kelly, who was here for a while, now the assistant GM of the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Like, in your reporting for that series, what did you notice, like people who were getting ready to be in those seats? Like what, were, what was their experience like in finally getting those opportunities, but also how they had to navigate some of the red tape that might not have been there for other candidates and certainly, you know, opportunities that might not have been there for them 10 years ago or even before that? Yeah, I think there was sort of an acceptance of the hurdles that they would have to, to face along their journey. Um, it was kind of a common black saying, you know, you got to work twice as hard um, and, and be twice as good to get to, to where you want to go yeah. um, as your counterparts. And so it, it just, this has been the reality ever since, you know, even before you thought about being an executive or a coach or whatever it may be, like that's, that's been their life because of, you know, the way, unfortunately, you know, this country has been structured, you know, since its inception. And so um, I, I think that's something that, you know, they accept and then they just try to, find a way to work around it, you know, whether it's, you know, laying on, um, you know, their network or their work ethic or approving themselves and going above and beyond and trying to get their opportunities. And um, I think also when they, for those that do break through and, and get those positions, um, whether it's a GM or head coach or whatever it may be, there's a pressure that comes with that to, you know, obviously you want to be good anyway, but like there's an added layer to it. to like, I really got to succeed in this role because that's the only way that there's going to be more people that look like me who get these opportunities. And so it's, it's a lot, it's unfair to them, but you know, it, it is what it is. You know, it's kind of just the reality and, and you know, they, they accept that. And, and that's, you know, for the ones that break through that, that's how they get there. What was the story that you, uh, that you talked about on there that, uh, that really was the one that stuck with you out of the five episode series? I think it was Clarence Shellman. Um, mm -hmm. He's a former offensive coordinator for the chargers back during like the LT years, Phillip rivers, um, you know, the North Turner days, um, and, and I kind of realized, you know, I'm younger, obviously, but going through it, I had zero idea who Clarence Shellman was before I started to do this. But he's a guy that led offense that was like top five for like his entire time as offensive coordinator, never even came close to getting a head coaching job, hardly got any interviews. He was essentially Eric Bieniemy before Eric Bieniemy. Um, he just sort of encapsulated, um, you know, sort of this conversation that we have annually. But he was a guy that instead of just putting his head down and, and dealing with it, he actually retired. I mean, he just walked away from the game. I mean, he was a relatively young man at the time. He was coming off of coordinating some of the best offenses in the league, one of the best offensive runs we've ever seen. And he just got so frustrated um, and demoralized to the point where he couldn't look himself in the mirror every day that he went to, to go to work. And you know, this is a guy that's making good money still. Like I said, he could have had that job for another 10, 15 years and right. gone on to have a long NFL career, but he just deemed it, it wasn't worth it. And I think he was sort of a prime example of how, you know, because a lot of people, you know, say like, oh, you aren't obviously nobody's, you know, you don't have to give anybody a head coach job or a GM job. But when these people are constantly hitting themselves against this, this glass ceiling, it can really break them down like on a personal level. Like it's not just about 
a title next to their name or making more money. Like it, it really has a, a personal effect on them because I mean, the only way that you're going to make it, you know, in, in this league is, is if you really love it and it's your passion. So I think he was probably the best example of somebody that, you know, was absolutely qualified, didn't get opportunity. And you see the effect that it, it had on him and still obviously resonates with him to this day. So that was a big project that you had during the offseason. And I also know you've dabbled in Aces coverage and Las Vegas wins back-to-back titles that happened last night. Like, what does that, what is it like out there? Because I know that the WNBA, at least here, I mean, the Sky won a championship a couple years ago, and then they've kind of disappeared after their rebuild, after they lose their coach, because he decides he wants to go be a bench coach in the NBA. Like, it, it, doesn't, hit, it doesn't hit here, I think, in ways where – it may maybe in ways that it would in places that teams actually win and win a lot. And I mean, the aces created the super team that is the New York Liberty that they just lost to last night. Like how, how do you view the coverage of the WNBA being in a market where it's really prominent, but also how that is received in a market that just won a championship, the most successful team out there. Oh, next to the golden Knights, because apparently everybody just wins championships now in Las Vegas, except the Raiders. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, honestly, I think a big part of it is the fact that Vegas didn't have professional sports until like six years ago. Right. Like they didn't have any of this type of stuff to appreciate in the past, you know, since like UNLV basketball back in the day. And so, I mean, they got a professional sports team that's like actually really good and competing for championships and winning championships. And I think the city just appreciates it in, different, in a different kind of way because it's like new to them. Like they almost feel like, you know grateful to have this this franchise in their city and so they really like flock to the team like it's not just going to the game to have something to do like there's a bunch of jerseys in the crowd they sell it out they know the chance they're yelling at the refs like they're actually like passionate and into it and standing and yelling and it's just, it's a crazy experience in there it's not the biggest you know arena in the world it's like twelve thousand, but i think that almost adds to the intimacy you know of the environment in there and i think the local community has really gravitated towards it and also las vegas is still a relatively small media market, even though the, the sports uh, you know, are rapidly growing. And, and so I think that also helps them get more coverage than maybe they would if they were in a bigger city like a New York or LA or Miami or, or some of those other markets. And so it's kind of been the perfect mix for them. And obviously the crux of it all is winning. You know, it's very easy to root for a back-to-back champion with yeah. 10 all-stars on the team and a superstar coach and one of the quirkiest owners in the league, I would imagine, and Mark Davis and Tom Brady on the sideline. So it's a very easy team to root for, but I think there's also a unique element about Las Vegas and sort of its recent breakthrough and becoming one of the sports capitals, you know, in the world that, that adds to it as well. Yeah, I got to be there when the Knights won the Stanley Cup, and I was like, I was, I was genuinely surprised by how the fan bases were really into it. I mean, I was at a, I don't even know, it was like a random bar just because they had, it was the only place that had cheap drinks out there, by the way. We got to get to But, uh, you know, it was just a random bar. I'm sitting there and there's like 40 people in here like chanting about, you know, the the, the Golden Knights are going to win the cup and how excited. And I was like, you guys have had sports for like six months. Like this is, this is the yeah. greatest I've ever seen the, and now, now this is where it tests, right? When you get past that. Right. We know how that goes. When you get to those when you get to those dark days, we'll see kind of how big the fan bases are. But it is really cool to see, like, how these fan bases have emerged so quickly and how there was such a thirst for that. And I, listen, a baseball team's coming. Right? Oakland's going. Yeah. We, we know that that's coming eventually. Yeah. It, it will. Uh, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting to see how that fan base grows even more mm-hmm. uh, outside of just covering the Raiders. What's next for Tashaun? 
We'll see. I mean, I'm starting to dive a little bit more into some national NFL coverage um, for the athletic as well, doing some features. Um, should have one pretty big one coming next week. Uh, outside of Aces, uh, I did a Formula One feature yesterday, um, kind of another big random sports event coming to Vegas to take over the city in November. So, Isn't it true um, that that race is happening at 2 a.m.? Not not to cut you off there, but didn't I hear Eastern that? time? It's like it's like one a.m. Eastern time. I think is when it starts or something like that's that. That's a very um, late race. Like I know, like night racing is cool and everything, but that's what like yeah. at ten p.m. like Eastern ten, 10 p.m. Pacific. Yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting setup. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, the racetrack is literally like on the strip. Like they dug up roads on the strip to build it there, and so it's going to be like one of the, the weirdest races you'll probably see. But. I'll be covering that. Obviously, the Super Bowl coming up next year. Aces parade on Monday. I'm, I'm going to be all around here, so plenty of plenty of different topics, you know, getting covered on the athletic by me. Hey man, make sure you guys stay in tune with him. Follow him on Twitter. I literally followed him during this as I saw his name go across screen. Y'all all should have done that as well. Uh, what's your prediction for Sunday, my man? What do you, what do you got coming out? Vegas versus uh, the Bears here. Yeah, I think the I think the Raiders are going to pull it out. Um, you know, I think Justin Fields being out, it's hard to see that Bears offense doing a whole lot with the Raiders, well, the way the Raiders defense is playing right now. That is that is so weird to say the way the Raiders defense is playing. <laughs> anyway, I think I think the Raiders win twenty four to fourteen um, and improve to four and three. Yeah, I'm right there with you, uh, Courtney. You you Bears lose yet again. You you on the board with that? I mean, I think that Deshaun points out a very obvious thing here that the offense wasn't functioning well with Justin Fields to begin with the last week. I mean, after two weeks of going against two bad defenses, I don't imagine that it will look much better going against a good defense, which again, it's weird. Like I covered the Raiders in 16. So like I was used to secondaries that were just completely porous and like routinely this team giving up like 300, 400 yards of offense a game. But yeah, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't believe that the Tyson Bajan experiment is going to yield like the the <laughs> jubilation this team needs to go get a win without Justin Fields. I, I will predict a loss as well. I'm looking for the Mike White. I need a little Mike White action in my <laughs> life. Just like go out there, surprise everybody, have the Vegas Vegas Raiders in a true Raiders fashion. Right? They just. Hey, you know, we should win this game, but maybe not. We'll see where life takes us. Hey, appreciate you joining us, Deshaun. Uh, appreciate Courtney as always. It is your boy, Pat, the designer. Back at it again. Make sure you guys hit that like button and go follow Deshaun over on Twitter as well, or X, whatever it's called. Now, y'all know what it is. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Bear down. Peace.